Well, I had a Bible up here, and it's gone away. Thanks a lot. That's a gift I'll have you know. Contrary to your pastor, I'm taking the high road, and I'm not going to say anything nasty about him, okay? Y'all already know enough about him anyway, so, I mean, what can I say, right? I love him. I love Clint Davis. He's a good one. This morning... um, We're going to be looking at a passage from John chapter 10. I think this is a continuation of this study uh, that you've been having. But we're going to be looking at John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42 today. Uh, Before we do it, though, i got one thing I need you to do, a favor to ask of you, okay? My mom and my sister are supposed to be watching this morning, okay? They, they usually go to First ARP and Rock Hill, but we're not able to go today. And I told them to listen to Chester today, that, you know, they would, they would hear something. Didn't say it good or bad. But anyway, I want you to do this, because I'm going to see Mama this afternoon, but I want you to just say two words for me loudly, okay? Just say, hey, Ma, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Hey, Ma! Okay, we'll see if she actually watched today or not. <laughs> Telling stories to a preacher on a Sunday on top of that. Can you imagine? Hmm. Okay. Let's look at John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42 this morning. At the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've always shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world? You're blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained, and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. 
But everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. May God be praised for the word that he has given us, and may he add his understanding to that word today. Let's pray once again. Father, thank you again for the privilege of coming to my brethren in Chester today to bring your message of truth. We praise you, Lord, for the way that you have put us together, but the way that you have put your word together. And in your perfect timing, we do so today. Look at your word and try to understand more completely exactly what you're trying to tell us. Would you bless us to that end now? Would your Holy Spirit be with us, not only in the words that I say, but the words that are heard? May they be glorified in you all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I've got to say, as Clint was doing the, uh, the children's sermon, and he was talking about that, that Pastor Buzzy was going to talk about uh, Jesus being the shepherd, and I'm going like, now wait a minute, 22 through 42, I don't remember that part of it at all. Surely I have not done the wrong passage. Well, I was wrong, or I was right, he was wrong, he did the wrong thing. <laughs> Doesn't have anything to do with the shepherd today, but that's okay. It's still a good children's sermon. That's the only thing I'm going to say bad about it, okay? We're going to be looking, again, at the, the second half of John chapter 10 today, as we said. First, for what it's worth, the Feast of Dedication was not one of the main feasts that the Jews observed. They usually had seven per year, and there were only a couple that they needed to be in Jerusalem together to be able to worship, but this was not one of them. This was a relative latecomer as well. What, when it was celebrated, it, it did not have to be done in Jerusalem. We said it, it could be done at home. It was also called the Feast of Lights. We might know it as Hanukkah. We are more familiar with that term today. It was a rededication of the temple in essence. Now, with that being said, we move on. This point is mentioned simply as a chronological marker in Jesus' ministry that was fast ebbing away. Now, it was mentioned specifically here as, uh, that it, it was cold at that particular time and where he was talking, where he was walking at this particular time was inside, essentially, to stay out of the cold. However, that didn't change a thing with the Pharisees and, and the Jews chasing him. They still, everywhere he went, they were not far behind him, okay? So, why is this mentioned? Again, it's just another confrontation that occurred this is kind of sets the scene here. This is the, the, the stage being set for the rest of this passage. Now, we know about how the Jews had had so many opportunities to choose for themselves who Jesus truly was. And he told them on numerous occasions who he was. He was the son of God the Father. He had challenged them. He had given them all kinds of examples, even given them proof many times over through his healings and all that they just could not seem to grasp. Reminds me of many who hear the gospel today. And they may even have people in their lives who have accepted Christ for themselves. They understand who Jesus is or are learning more and more about him. 
But still, to these particular people, they need one more example to believe in Jesus, to accept him as Lord and Savior. And for whatever reason, that one reason just never comes. You ever known anybody like that? If you can just get me to, just show me one more thing about Jesus. And you do, and then it's, well, but if you'll show me just one more thing, it just seems like a never-ending wheel. The Jews confront Jesus again. Let's look at verse 24. It, it talks about, how are you going to keep us, in, why are you going to keep us in suspense? How long are you going to do this to us? If you are really the Christ, if you are really the Messiah, just tell us outright, will you? Tell us plainly, will you? Maybe, maybe Jesus thought, maybe outright again. Now, calling for the Christ or Messiah here, as is the usual, we're not sure if they are asking for a spiritual or a physical Messiah here. We just know that they were looking for something. But they ask again anyway. So what does Jesus say next here? I did tell you. I've told you already many times. You just don't want to hear it. And he told them from everything the way it would pan out in the days ahead, much less everything that he knew before he ever came to this earth, before he came to die for us, if he had tried to simplify that and tell everyone exactly what he knew, do you think they would have believed him? I sincerely doubt it. So he goes with what he thinks they can handle, and guess what? They still cannot handle it. Or worse, maybe they just don't want to handle it. Maybe they just don't want to hear the truth. Kind of reminds me of Jack Nicholson in the movie, You Just Can't Handle the Truth. Sadly, this was going to be the theme with a majority of the Jews and others. Clear on up to today. So he continues. I have performed miracles, he says, like before. Look at the blind man in chapter 9 of John. And that, that wasn't enough. But I at last know why you don't believe. Now, after he says this, could you imagine the look on the Jews and the Pharisees' faces? Have to be kind of puzzled, wouldn't they? You know now why we don't believe? Well, why is that, Jesus? You're not my sheep, he says. This goes back to Jesus talking about him being the shepherd. In the early part of chapter 10, verse 11, he reiterates what he said in the first half of that chapter. You don't know my voice. I am not your shepherd. How can you respond to me? This wasn't meant as a slight to their character. It wasn't meant to be an out for them either, though, okay? It was meant to indict them of their spiritual refusal to see Jesus for who he was. This is not something that the people today would be let off the hook for either, okay? For somebody who may use this same kind of excuse. And, and, and we might say, oh, well, he just doesn't understand. I guess he'll just have to live in ignorance and he'll just have to go to hell. He'll never know the real Jesus that I know. He's too blind. He just won't listen. Folks, we cannot think that way. 
more we cannot afford to think that way. And though these men were antagonistic to Jesus, it did not make their souls any less valuable. So Jesus continues to indict them. Look at verse 28. I give my sheep eternal life, he says. He's already told them that he gives his sheep abundant life here. He now tells them that he gives abundant life in the next life. Jesus is pulling no punches here. He's telling them what they need to hear, but they're not listening. We've got to learn from this example ourselves, folks. Witnessing to others, while we should begin with a very simple story of what Jesus has done for us, as I like to say, you have a story that you know better than anybody else. It is your story. But we need to tell what Jesus has done for us. But there comes a point when the absolute hard truth has to be told. Maybe for the younger Christian, and and I don't necessarily mean that in a chronological state, but someone who is a new Christian, I would consider them to be a child in Christ. But maybe for that particular person who is still coming to grips with what Jesus means to them, maybe this part of it they're not ready for yet, but there comes a point where someone with more experience has to come alongside this young Christian and help them understand what Paul Harvey might say is the rest of the story. The stark reality of the gospel must be told. And we can find a very important part of that gospel right here in verses 28 through 30. Those I give eternal life will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In other words, even in the difficult times when temptations come at us hard and heavy, when we doubt our faith even, when we feel like our sin is just too much for us that we could never be forgiven, we've got to remember that Jesus Christ hung on that cross just for you. His blood was shed as an atonement for your sins, past, present, and future. When you're being told that you are too bad to be saved, that because you have done so many wrongful things that God might as well just forget you, or or maybe when we're really struggling and a friend comes to you and says, you might as well forget it. God's not listening to you. Who needs friends like that first? But know these verses, these three verses, 28 through 30 of John 10. Our Lord, the good shepherd, knows us. And because his father knows him, we can believe that Jesus gave us to him. And when that happens, like a steel door that when closed and locked can never be opened, God the Father has that kind of hold on us. That's worth an amen for. Thank you. Why is this? 
because Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father are one. If that is not a tough combination to beat, I don't know what is. It's a perfect combination for you and I to have on our side. They're not one in the sense of being one in in person or entity. Please understand that. They are one in will and action, but they are separate and apart in function in what they do. That's another series in and of itself that we could preach and teach on for, for some time. Jesus' claim to be the Son of God draws more ire from the Jews. His claiming equality with God was caused for the Jews to uh, want to execute him or execute anyone who would say something along those lines. I guess for a lack of a better reason, this was the one that they were going to go with to take Jesus out. And yet, Jesus had not been judged in a Roman court setting, which created another situation for them. So what were the Jews going to do there? They were going to take mob rule, and they were just going to go and stone him to death. And I guess it's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than it is for permission in this type of situation. Perhaps maybe that's what they were thinking. I think Jesus stoked the fires of the anger here, though, by asking them. Or maybe he wanted to hear what they were going to accuse him of. But he says, hey, I've done a lot of notable notable miracles since I've been here. All in the name of God my Father. Which one are you going to stone me for this time? We're not stoning you for the miracles, they said. It's because you have blasphemed. You have said that you are God. Even though we know you're only a man just like us. Can you see how they don't understand Jesus at all? I mean, this is, this is fairly obvious here to us. And of course we know Jesus continued to call, call God the Father time and time again for as long as he was here on earth. Not only could they not see, they couldn't hear either just exactly what he was saying to them. Rather than accept Jesus for who he was, they do everything they can, they can to make up an ill-conceived reputation for who they thought Jesus was. Some saw through their misevaluations. Most, sadly, though, did not. Look today at how Jesus is so misconstrued. To many, he's a man of love. Oh, he loves everybody. We should do the same, which is true. But they forget his statement of go and sin no more. This is the part, I think, where a young, mature, or immature Christian would have a difficult time learning about God's love, but also his justice as well. But he looked at, looked at it from another standpoint also, and we can see this in today's world. Others see him as pure hatred because they say he doesn't love particular groups of people. Unfortunately, attitudes like that are in some churches today. Or at least they're being accused of that type of feeling about others. Well, if you don't see it my way, then you must hate those groups. Well, God hates, all right. He hates sin. He does not hate 
the sinner. And yet, again, God is a God of justice. We've got to remember that. Now, this next verse, verse 34, it's a quote from Psalm 82, verse 6. Jesus is quoting this right now, okay? He says, you are gods, all you are sons of the Most High. Verse 7, though, says this, but you will die like mere men. You will fall away like every other ruler if others are able to be declared as gods as we see in Psalm 82.6. Now, this is confusing to a lot of people, but what he is saying is this. They are made in God's image, and they had power to rule over the people at that particular time to the point to where they could even be called sons of God because of what they were doing to that end. They had also been given God's law, so they carried a lot of responsibility with them. So there's a reason why all this was taking place. Jesus is using this example for this purpose. He says, why is it wrong then if, if in, in the Psalms, which you all know, if it's wrong for me to call myself a son of God, why then are you able to do it? If you're called a son of God because you have the law and all. He's trying to reason with them in a way that they would be able to understand what he's trying to tell them. And he says, why would this set you apart and not set me apart? I'm a Jew just like you. I know the law just like you. And I call my father my, my, my father, and yet you have an issue with that. He sent me into the world. And yet you say I'm blaspheming. Why, why is that? Why do you say I am blaspheming when I say I am God's son? He's trying to walk them through the most basics of why he was here. Again, using words that they knew, the Psalms. But he was trying to put it on a level that they could grasp. Why do you accuse me of blasphemy, he says. But then he gives them an acid test. The proof is in the pudding, we might say. All right, don't believe me then, okay? That is unless I do what my Father has given me instructions to do. But if I do that, whether you believe in me or not, I encourage you, believe in the miracles that I have performed. They came from the Father through me. At least know that way and be able to understand that the Father is in me and I am in Him. In other words, if you can't believe me for who I am, for who I say I am, believe at least the actions that I have committed or completed while I was here. And you know what? Even that wasn't good enough. Jesus has tried to reason with them. He's tried everything that he knows to be able to get the Jews to be able to see exactly who he is, and yet they still cannot do it. You see, you see what Christ did here? He tried to make his appearance, his miracles, even his words, become, they became so confrontational, though, to what the law was holding uh, to, the, to the Jews, at least, 
And they just could not get, it was a disjoint there between Jesus and the Jews. This was probably, if not the closest, it had to be one of the closest moments that Jesus had of getting to their level where they might possibly could understand. This is oftentimes how we've got to approach people ourselves who have a hard time picking up what you're saying to them about Jesus. You've got to try to be as as relational with people as you possibly can. You've got to be able to tell them things about Jesus that they're going to comprehend. You're going to have to tell them about what has, has been done for you, as we said a few minutes ago. That, or maybe that particular person that you're talking to, is just as antagonistic as the Jews were towards Jesus. Break it down to the simplest method of sense that you can make it within your own sphere of witnessing when you're talking to someone else. This is, I think, an excellent example that Jesus is giving us here. He isn't taking anything away from their adversaries, not not trying to confound them with theology, and he's not backing down from what he knows to be the truth. Now, how many of you all, how many have ever said, without raising hands, how many have ever said, well, I don't know enough about the Bible to be able to talk to anybody about Jesus? What is he saying right here? He's saying you don't have to. You don't have to know a tremendous amount of the scriptures to be able to talk to someone else about Jesus. What's the old uh, child song he's saying? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. That's the most basic, fundamental thought we can have to reach someone for Jesus Christ. We don't have to tell them, well, John 10 verse such and such says this. We don't have to go that far with it. Now, it's good to get to that point at some point in time, but we don't back down, as Jesus was doing, we do not back down from the truth that we know. That's the most important part right there. You see, Jesus knew all who heard him that particular day, they weren't going to listen to him. They really didn't even care what he was saying if the truth be made known. It had nothing to do with the truth, though. Jesus was speaking here to them in a simple way to draw the interest of that one or two people who may have been in that crowd who wanted to hear more. We see many examples of that in the Scriptures where literally multitudes would walk away, but there would be the one or two or three or five who would stay behind because the words that they heard struck them in their heart. That's what we've got to do, folks. That is exactly what we need to do today. Was Jesus trying to to draw them with all that he was saying? Well, I guess he was. But the question has to be asked, was he going to be successful at it? His prayer, I would imagine, before he talked to those people would have been something along the effect of, Lord, let those who are going to hear, hear. But let the rest of them hear too. Let the rest of them understand a little bit more of what I'm trying to say here. 
But you know what? Even after a prayer like that in his heart of hearts, he knew not everyone was going to be reached. Do you know why he knew that? Because he knew man's heart. And he knew what was in it. Anyway, verse 39, they again, they try to grab him, but it was not his time yet. That was coming, but we just didn't know at that time when. Jesus heads back to where John the Baptist had been in completing the, uh, the passage for this morning in his early ministry, and that was back to Bethany. And in the latter ministry, he goes back to see how things have progressed since John was there in his early ministry. Many had to have remembered what John's basic ministry was. Do you remember what that was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember Jesus' first time he went out. He said the same thing. That was the basic premise that he was going by. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Well, they may not have realized at the moment, but the fountain, that foundation for that kingdom was standing right there before them. And while so many were attracted to Jesus because of his early miracles and then his powerful words, it's noticed that the people understood John never performed a single solitary miracle. Did you ever think about that? John had one mission, and that was to clear the pathway for Jesus. But he never, never performed the first miracle. He simply spoke the truth. What they did remember, though, was that John's words, again, were everything he was, that he talked about was that one who was coming after him. That was Jesus of Nazareth. And they realized that what John had told them was the truth. Now, I think from this, we can learn that there are many ways to bring attention to Christ and him crucified. John did it through strong words, plain and simple words of repentance at a time when the people needed something like that to be able to hang their spiritual hat on something. Others can, can get themselves into their, the lives of people in a, in a certain area, relational building, we, we might call that today. And through that message of love and hope that we can bring to others, but of justice as well, we are able to reach people for the cause of Christ in ways that maybe we don't even understand. There are a number of ways to draw the attention of people anywhere to the love of God found in Jesus Christ. And yet, it could be something as simple as a drink of water given to a thirsty soul. Or maybe food when they're hungry. Or clothing when they're either not having clothes for cold or, or heat, depending if it's like here, you never know from one day to the next. The example and others that we have were written 2,000 years ago. These methods are displayed for us to learn from for each one of us and have been for 2,000 years. But both of these are still true today as they were then. We have a field that is ripe for the harvest here in Chester. Are we doing our part 
to bring the good news of the gospel to these folks, to those who don't know Jesus, maybe who have walked away from him for whatever reason. John the Baptist didn't wait. He did what he was called to do, to make straight the paths for Jesus, telling others to be ready when he came. My question in closing to you, are we doing the same thing? Are we making the paths straight for Christ today in the 21st century? Telling others to be ready for when he returns for us? Telling others that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're running out of time to be ready. Do we... Ask that question to others? Do we bring that simple message to others? Or are we waiting for someone greater than us to do our job for us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson. Uh, A simple lesson of how Jesus tried so hard to get the Jews to listen over and over again, and they just couldn't do it. We know we run into the same things today. We run into those with hard hearts, unbelieving hearts, unrepentant hearts. And it can be very, very frustrating. But Father, you've taught us through your son, through men like John the Baptist, that we must continue to preach that lesson because we never know when we are going to reach that one particular person with the right words that need to be heard, that you're going to touch their heart through the Holy Spirit. But we need to do our part as well. Bless us, Lord. May we have a desire, a never-ending desire, to bring the lost to you, just as Jesus did so long ago. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.